Hey everybody, this is Greg Dressner with the Abstract Podcast, and we have Kendra Vu, Head of Global Inside Sales at Adjust with us today. Kendra, please say hi. Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our chat. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I, um, As I was kind of telling you, Kendra, in our kind of prep, uh, we haven't really had a sales leader um, like you before at very large companies. And so I'm really excited to kind of gain some perspective and, and learn some stuff from you. But before we do, um, I want to start with a little bit of your backgrounds. And so looking at your LinkedIn, it's obvious you've been successful, but can you walk us through kind of your journey over the past several years and kind of how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to maybe just roll back to about 10 years or so. Um, Because one thing I always look for first is, you know, um, what's driving the industry, what our customers need, um, and things like that. So really, I started for the past 10 years, really honing in on digital transformation solutions. So looking for companies that are providing either mobile, cloud, or security, or and or all three. And the good news is that those type of companies and SaaS companies really need inside sales teams too. So I've been, for the most part, in mobility for over 10 years now, starting back with good technology, moving on to mobile iron, and now with Adjust, right? Mobile yeah. marketing and analytics platform. When I think about these companies and the journey, right, they are looking to scale the market, to grow, expand their reach. Um, and the nice thing is inside sales is a key element of that strategy, right? And that's where I come into the picture, which has been <laughs> great for me, right? So it's, it's been terrific to be part of this digital transformation journey, a bigger picture in the industry and align myself with these companies and really help scale out those teams. Um, so the nice thing, you know, to, to double click a little bit more on inside sales, you know, joining these companies, either growing like from scratch where maybe they, they're really, they really just started with field sales teams, maybe a few SDRs or something, but really broadening, um, that reach and velocity with, uh, building out SDRs and building pipeline that way. Then as the market matures and segmentation matures, um, adding on closing inside sales reps, in some cases, right? So being able to lower our cost of sale and handle some of the smaller deals and higher velocity deals. Mm-hmm. So building out ISR teams, in some cases we have renewals reps and even customer success reps, right? So it's pretty exciting to be part of the, that journey and be part of leading those inside sales strategies. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the largest team that you've ever been responsible for? Um, I So that probably have to go back to the Mercury Interactive days. I had six managers, 60 reps. Um, if I remember my quota is nearly 150 million in revenue. <laughs> um, and yeah, and we, it was, it was different teams. So certainly there was the maintenance renewal team. So small team, but huge amount of revenue they would pull in. Yeah. Uh, we had named account reps. So we had a set of reps that were just dedicated to farming our customers, working with them to add more value and upsell. And then we had, we had hunter teams, right. Just to make sure we're staying competitive and, and bringing on new logos and such. So pretty exciting. 150 mil. That's uh, that's quite the number. That's, uh, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah. Back in the day, I remember the CEO meeting um, with our inside sales team and to put into perspective, he said something I didn't, didn't even think about it. He's like, you know, you guys, yeah, you guys are about 150 million. I could take you public. (laughs) 
<laughs> Obviously, we were in a much, much larger organization then, but it, yeah. was pretty, it was pretty cool for him to say that. And it, it made us all feel really, really good about the contribution we were bringing to the company and yeah, the size of organization, the number of customers we touched and the amount of revenue we brought in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that, so I, uh, I think one of the, there's a, an investor pretty well known in Silicon Valley, a guy named Jason Lemkin. And he's the founder of Saster, which puts out a lot of content around software sales. And one of his more prevalent articles that he wrote is he talks about the 48 different types of sales leaders and how there's different sales leaders that are important based upon the stage of the company. Um, and he talks about maybe the evangelist kind of early stage all the way up to Mrs. Dashboards, where, you know, it's like the sales leader at like Salesforce that can kind of tweak the different levers just by looking at dashboards. And so have you found that to be the case as you've grown throughout your career that, you know, yourself, as well as maybe some of the managers that have been underneath you, that that is kind of true in a lot of ways that there's different types of leaders for different stages of companies? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, it's a bit tricky to try to interview for, you know, for the different skill sets um, for the different stages. I mean, with smaller companies or early stage, we, you know, certainly require managers and reps who can really roll up their sleeves, put in structure, put in process. They're okay with starting with, you know, a blank sheet of paper. Um, yeah. But I find individual, you know, the individuals, um, particularly the managers, they need to be able to handle a lot of ambiguity. They need to be okay with managing with through that, right? And okay with the gray areas. And there's, you know, some people that, don't do as well, right? They want things a lot more defined, a lot more black and white or things like that, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's really important. Um, there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of things that could be coming at you. And so resilience is another aspect or skill I looked at. Now, I would say through the various stages of company growth, you, de- you everybody, you know, you need different types of resilience because you're going to be facing different things. Um, I love that. You know, but yeah, as a company matures, as the market mature, now you're starting to scale that, get that, then you want the, you know, Mr. and Mrs. repeatable putting in strategy and organizations so that you can scale. Otherwise you, you, you can't, yeah, if it's not repeatable, you can't, you can't get at that. Right. And you're really looking at people that know how to look at um, different KPIs and how to, how to improve or increase productivity yields. Yeah. I love that. I love that you use the Mr. and Mrs. repeatable, right? I think the unicorn is uh, how he references that person in that article is the person who can come in and kind of make it repeatable. So when you think of your time when you had 60 reps um, versus where you are today at Adjust, like what skill sets, like what are different things that you kind of pull from your bag of tricks, your bag of skills that you use today versus maybe when you had $150 million number and, and 60 sales reps across six managers, what's different? Um, well, I mean, the, the inside sales environment is, is much different. I mean, even just the, you know, I talked about digital transformation earlier, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, today we have an incredible amount of tech stack that we have to manage. There's, you know, before customers would have to pick up the phone and reply to you if they wanted to find something about you right now, everything's online. And yep. so we've had to become much savvier about how we learn about our customers and also how we help our customers learn about us, right? 
Um, so there's, I think, a couple of things. Again, yeah, the, the inside sales has evolved that way, digital transformation, new technologies. The other thing, too, is the roles have become more specialized. And so, you know, I always say, you know, in terms of field sales trainer, sales training, one size doesn't fit all. Now it's become even more so like training an inbound SDR is going to be different than an outbound SDR. Training a high velocity um, closing insight sales rep is going to be different than say a renewals or a customer success rep, right? So yeah. some of those things, just being aware of that, the changing environment and having to always try to stay ahead, you may not always have the answers, but just to know that we're asking the right questions, like how do we need to change how do we need to change the roles or the strategy? And what do we need to do to en enable our teams to be successful? Whether it's, yeah, sales training, um, different tech stack, different tools, working with marketing, different, you know, different outreach to customers, persona-based content, et cetera. Yeah, um, I love that. So it's interesting you talk about like the tech stack because um, here at Abstract, one of the things that we've, we've realized is that there's an educational component around our product and how it's used that we have to be responsible for um, and training our customers on how to use that technology because there is so much technology being thrown at sales leaders, at sales enablement leaders, at revenue ops people that it's almost like, you know, you can't rely upon them to go learn how to use this technology because there's so much out there. Um, and how do you deploy it effectively? It's definitely something that I never really thought of. That's, uh, that's an interesting perspective that you, you have to not only know how to sell, you have to know how to specialize your reps and also how to deploy the, what seems like probably never ending change of tech stacks that are coming your way. So that's, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, how often do you find yourself kind of in the deals, working deals with reps or, um, kind of helping close deals or is that uh, kind of a little bit removed from that nowadays? Yeah, no, I mean, I think when um, in terms of managing closing teams, I think there's, there's two areas, two times I really would like to try to get involved is, I mean, certainly at end of quarter strategy, strategy, excuse me, strategizing with reps on deals, figuring out how I could potentially serve as, you know, peer-to-peer um, -peer executive level bridging or something like that. But I think it's more important that upfront though, the qualification process, like setting up that opportunity, setting up that deal, qualifying it early on so that we could develop a closed plan and really, you know, work with the customer through their, that buying journey. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's times where um, running you, I'm sure a lot of companies have heard of, you know, uh, force management and medic opportunity management, right? Yep. So um, running medic deal reviews, um, trying to get that earlier. So we understand what, what we don't know about it, what holes do we have in our deal strategy, and then put together a plan around that. And then again, towards the end of quarter, um, really coming in to try to help close deals that way. I think for okay. me right now, though, in terms of, you know, being in Q4, a lot is um, around 2022 strategy and planning. Right. And big focus on pipeline generation and investing in our SDR teams and, and new, new strategies there. Nice. OK, so let's kind of go back to that qualification, because obviously qualification of opportunities kind of lays the foundation right, of, of any opportunity. So do you find that 
you're kind of driving that strategy or deciding, okay, we're going to use Medic or we're going to use Sandler. Are you typically the one kind of top down pushing that strategy or do you kind of typically maybe let your managers kind of drive that based upon kind of their team and their team's personalities or what are your thoughts on how to deploy that and ensure consistency across a a large sales team? Yeah, well, I mean, typically that's a lot of partnership with the field sales teams and the field sales leadership. Um, So what methodology is chosen there is really, um, you know, having uh, influencing that decision a bit. But then I think too, is the other thing is again, not one size fits all, right? So deploying medic and opportunity review against deals that are 200,000, 500,000 is going to be much different than how do we think about applying it maybe more in an inside model, a higher velocity. Like, so deals, deals can be smaller, but the whole process of going through the qualification and asking the questions um, you want to, you, maybe you don't fill out a medic form for every single small deal, but getting the reps to start thinking about that. So they're working on the big deals. will translate that into when they're on the phone qualifying, maybe only for that five or 10 K deal, but now they're asking those questions. They've internalized that qualification. Right. And so, um, you know, working, working with the managers and coaching them and how to run medic deal reviews, um, working with uh, the managers and then with the reps on, again, just improving the qualification, the discovery calls up front, really driving that, you know, into that day-to-day practice. I think the second thing, I mean, it's always tough rolling out sales methodologies, right? So reps kind of push back. And if there yeah. are ways to actually, you know, implement, um, implement it into your CRM, right? Having Salesforce feels that, you know, at a certain stage or a certain opportunity size, you have to know X, Y, Z. So that just reinforces some of that behavior and practice into, you know, day-to-day and week-to-week opportunity management. I love that. I love that. Um, Well, so at this level, right, how many reps do you have at Adjust today, Kendra? A little bit smaller team, 30 today. Okay. So still 30, right? That's a decent-sized team. Um, Mm -hmm. 30, 60. um, When you think of maybe the one attribute where you're like, okay, if I could fall back on this one thing that I continue to use to find success, whether it's 30 reps or 60 reps or eight reps, whatever that might be, like, what is, what does it take to be successful when you're leading teams kind of at scale? That's a tough question. I mean, when you put it down to one, can I have two? You can have two. I'll give you two, but not three. You can't have three. Okay. Um, you know, I think I think one thing is just particularly running inside sales orgs is balancing and working strategically and tactically, right? You have to get into the day-to-day and understand that, but then you don't want to get too caught in the weeds and you want to make sure that are you stepping back, making sure you put time for strategy and planning and thinking in a bigger picture and, and context, right? So I think that's one thing is really balancing how you're working, how you're thinking and approaching the business, making sure there's a good, healthy balance of strategic with tactical. Okay. I think the second thing really has to do with, um, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence. I'm a huge fan of Daniel Goleman. And through the years, there's a lot that's been talked about in terms of leadership skills and EQ skills. And so that would be the second area that, I, um, I continue to, to work on and try to be mindful of and, and self-aware of, you know, developing that self-awareness. Okay. I love that. 
So kind of point one, right? Um, working in the business versus on the business, right? So having the wherewithal to understand when you're in the weeds and then when to pick your head up and kind of look around. Um, and then also the emotional intelligence component uh, and the uh, ability to self-reflect on how you're working within that team because sales reps are needy and emotional and high maintenance and um, they will throw sales leaders for an emotional roller coaster sometimes I'm sure. So kind of having that in check is a, is key, right. To, to being successful. So I would say the pandemic has really, you know, emphasized that a lot. Right. I mean, it's been obviously really tough to work remote and not have those micro moments and be able to just have the quick conversations or the strategy sessions or the venting sessions in the office. (laughs) And so really try to, you know, stretch your empathy skills, your listening skills, picking up on body language when it's a lot tougher over zoom um, and getting in tune with your teams and the reps. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's really stretched us all. Well, it's good, right? As we stretch, we grow. And that's, uh, so I'm sure you, you, you've progressed your ability to handle those situations as a result of, and the situation we found ourselves in. So um, I'm surprised recruiting didn't make your list in terms of uh, kind of the, the most, what you need to be successful, right? Um, why, why did that not make the top two in terms of recruiting the right people and, and kind of having a formula for that? You know, um, it's interesting because it's, uh, no, that, that's certainly an aspect. And when I think about like some of the, the hardest parts or the toughest part of the job, I think uh, I actually, you know, think about hiring that right talent and recruiting so you can avoid having to fire or let someone go because of poor fit. So that's that's something that's, you know, always a, a challenge there. Okay, so leads me into the next thing I want to chat about, which is what's the hardest part of, you know, managing and leading a team at scale. And it sounds like recruiting might be the hardest part of that job. Yeah, there's there's that, and and definitely now where um, you know in the last few roles I've had a global position, so it's it's a little bit different when you're hiring for leaders or reps in Asia Pac and the culture and certain you know interviewing is is a little bit different than say um, hiring in Europe versus Americas, obviously language or doing things in English where it's a second language can be a little bit a little bit challenging that way. Right. But yeah, yeah. Hiring is, is, well, I would say it's not the hardest thing to do. Hiring is the most important thing to do. And if we do it right, then we avoid the harder part of having to, to fire, right. Or to let someone go. Okay. That's yeah. uh, slow, to, slow, hire, fire fast. Right. So take yeah. your time, find the right person. Um, Back to your question around the hardest part of job. I, t- you know, to j- address that a bit. When you're running, you know, larger teams or high velocity teams, it's always, again, making sure I'm taking a step back to look at, am I pulling on the right levers that would have the biggest impact to the business? Right. Um, And so that juggling back to that juggling of strategic perspective, bigger context with the tactical day-to-day needs, right. Making sure that I am looking, um, you know, zooming out enough to make sure I'm pulling on those big levers, right? Don't go too too far down a path. Yeah, and that, those levers come with um, experience, right? Um, if you have a team of one or two, right? Like those 
those levers are a lot easier to identify, but maybe at 30 reps, 60 reps, you're kind of looking at a dashboard and you're maybe looking at trend lines mm -hmm. and um, activity metrics over a period of time and as it relates to pipeline generation. And so um, that definitely is something I'm sure you've learned over time. It's not something that you just intrinsically know day one as a sales leader. So what's, uh, what's your favorite part of leading kind of larger scale sales teams? Um, you know, the typical sales answer is, you know, making your number or hitting the goals and objectives. <laughs> but I really, for me, and particularly with running inside sales, and one reason why I've stuck with inside sales teams for the most part is seeing reps grow, right? Seeing them go through career paths or SDRs to inside sales, to field sales, even management. Um, I have, I have reps that worked with me years ago that are now in director and VP level roles. So it's, it's really um, satisfying, fulfilling and seeing that. I think the other favorite part, I, I really love the cross-functional teaming and collaboration with other go-to-market functions, right? I love the journey of like, okay, what are we trying to get to and how are we going to work together? What, what new tactics or strategies are we going to try? I love that type of collaboration um, and, and, and yeah, just teaming that way. And right. then obviously seeing, seeing the, the end results, but sometimes again, I, I actually feel the journey is actually more satisfying than, than that momentary, you know, Hey, we got the win or we hit that milestone, but usually, you, you know, you celebrate a little bit and you know, next year, the goals are going to go up. So, <laughs> so then it's going back to like, okay, let's huddle again, team. Let's figure out how we're going to, we're going to put our right, right people and right strategies in place to go, go to achieve the next levels. It's uh, you got to fall in love with the process because you know, whether you're on quarterly or monthly or annually, like you're going to start back at zero sometime and it's only going to get bigger. So you have to fall in love with the actual process of getting there to, to find a career in, in sales. So leads me to my final question. What, uh, what advice would you have for maybe our listeners who, you know, want to, want to leave that team of 60 reps one day? Like how do, how do they get there? Yeah, I mean, even I think early in the career is, you know, don't hesitate to ask, you know, don't hesitate to throw your, your hat in the ring or, or, you know, find out what, what career path or what possibilities there could be. Because if you, you don't ask, you're not going to know. And at any point, you know, people might just say no, not now or whatever, right? I think the bigger thing is don't be afraid to fail or make mistakes, right? So you've got to try new things. You've got to take risk at whether at an individual level or, or when you start managing, um, smaller teams to bigger teams, you got, you've got to, you've got to try that. Right. So there's calculated risk around that, but from failures, from mistakes, you learn from it. Right. I mean, success yeah. really comes from that. Yeah. And then I would yeah. say something that's certainly helped me through multiple companies is finding a mentor, finding that exec sponsor may not necessarily be, uh, you know, another sales leader or VP of sales or something. It could be, it could be a VP of marketing. It could be, you know, head of product marketing or somebody in the organization that understands your value that can help just provide different perspective and be that mentor and executive sponsor. I love that. I, uh, I don't think that's advice I've gotten before. So I like that uh, kind of executive sponsor and maybe it's somebody in, you know, a product role or something like that, right. That, you know, can help shape your perspective on how to work cross-functionally with the product marketing team, right? Like that's, I love that. That's great advice. Well, um, I picked up on a couple of key things here that I've kind of reinforced as we've gone through our time together. Um, first off, really 
focusing on like EQ, right? Um, and understanding that the ability to connect with reps has drastically changed. And so kind of having this like intrinsic monitoring, if you will, around kind of how well are you doing managing your emotions and your connection with your reps. I think that is super important, especially as you grow and scale a team. Um, so I, I love that. Um, I really liked the kind of your perspective on um, the, I don't want to say recruiting, but it's obviously the most important part, but um, kind of hire slow, right? Find the right people and then ultimately fail, be okay with failure. Um, and it, it sounds cliche, but if you never ask, the answer is always no. And so anybody in sales, you know, we should understand that uh, we should always be asking for that opportunity or asking for that mentor to kind of help guide us. And if we don't ask, that's on us. So really appreciate the time today. Um, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you, Sandra, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, I, the easiest is probably on LinkedIn. Pretty simple. It's candor.vu, uh, the LinkedIn profile. Candor spelled K-A-N-D-R-A. And my last name is V as in Victor U. So Perfect. I really appreciate the time, Greg. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And I love that you called out V for victory. That's awesome. <laughs> I would have used like Victor or something like that. So I love that you called out V for victory. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today. Uh, it was awesome. And I'm sure our listeners took away a lot. Thank you.